Right, fuck it. Welcome back to what is, I guess, the first episode, but also like episode eight of the podcast we were doing last year, uh, the Unfill podcast, which for many reasons was paused and delayed disagreement of content, life that was happening that we're going to speak about a little bit. Um, just decided that after basically a pretty fucked year for myself, just going to bring the podcast back because conversations are interesting. And I just think, as a selfish endeavor, if anything, it's pretty interesting for other people to hear it. Um, we're going to go into loads of shit, not just entrepreneurship, not just e-com. Try and keep it interesting. I think that was the intent last time, but it was a little bit unmanaged in certain circumstances and we were a year younger. Um, <laughs> so the, yeah, this first episode, I guess, just to dive into it, just going to give the story of what happened, I guess, to me um, over like the past 18 months. So I did a Twitter thread for the first time like ever, like a week ago. And this is Tokyo, by the way, is the, the lockdown dog I got. Um, <laughs> and he wasn't actually born, as Billy just noted, when we last recorded. He's like 15 months old, so he can't give me abuse on this video because he's in it and he'll read it. Um, he's very yeah. this old. Yeah, he is. Um, so I guess, that, yeah, we'll just introduce who are you on this podcast. And yeah. Then we'll get into it. So I'm Billy. I'm Matt's flatmate from last year throughout lockdown. Um, and I run a company called Info Productions. We build uh, info products for influencers and help coaches do the same thing. I guess my turn. And Tyler. Um, yeah, Tyler, I'm a property entrepreneur, an online entrepreneur. I've known these boys for a couple of years now, live just down the road. We have a lot of insightful conversations. And so I think definitely worth documenting. Yeah, just kind of honest conversations that are worth putting online, basically. More than anything else. And we keep catching ourselves having really interesting conversations We're like, actually fuck it'd be so interesting to just document this because yeah so many people get so much value from it yeah that's what i used to always think like i'd have conversations with my mate tom who's probably watching this in the car and i was like oh i want to make more content and then i did youtube when i was like 17 and did music shit and then the world told me that i shouldn't do that i should go and become a lawyer and then i was like fuck youtube and then i started youtube again for like a year and a half <laughs> When I was like traveling full time and went to be a travel vlogger. And then again, I probably got told I grow up, focus on like building your business, et cetera, et cetera. And then, yeah, I think I've now got to the point where I just don't give a fuck as much about what other people think, primarily because of what's happened to me like the past year and a bit. Um, so yeah, now it just feels like a decent time to start just fucking sharing stuff again. Cause I just enjoy making content. I think conversations are interesting. Podcasting is an ever growing medium. I think a lot of podcasts are fairly shit, to be honest, even the ones that are big. I'm not saying this is going to be the best one ever, but it's certainly going to be, I just think, more raw and real, hopefully. Um, and yeah, maybe I should put it out there that it's going to be a million subs in the first year. That's probably a big answer. Because uh, <laughs> I don't think Stephen Barlow's even. That's good. It's a licensing deal. Maybe, maybe 10K <laughs> subs in the first few months would be good, something like that. But okay, Joe Rogan. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and I guess co-host Tokyo Rose, as he's called. Um, but yeah, diving into the story then of the past 18 months, pr pretty much, yeah, I put a Twitter thread. I guess my intro is I'm an e-commerce entrepreneur and apparently a scam artist, according to a lot of people on the internet a few months ago. <laughs> but yeah, um, we did like the, the whole fucking past intro thing, like of when I was like 17, me and Fred, um, who runs an issue, did like the original episode. So we're not going to go into that. I guess just the past 18 months. I try and wrap it up in like five minutes and then get into like what happened and like a few questions and shit. Um, yeah, basically found myself 
running two successful e-commerce brands, probably a bit naive to the risks and elements of like managing a business of that scale and just thought, yeah, this is normal with like a 10 million pound red revenue run rate working from a fucking bedroom because me and Fred were similar and we'll probably do an episode with him as well. Um, had a jewelry brand. I say had because I actually recently completely exited both of them, but we'll get on to that in a minute. Um, had a jewelry brand called Midnight City that was doing like 200 grand a month, so decent little business, profitable, smooth, just wasn't that into it. Then launched the problem business, uh, Neon Beach, which will f- forever fucking haunt me. Um, I've actually got rid of most of the neon signs in my flat now and replaced them with a more expensive Philips Hue. I've now got all of them. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> so much trauma associated with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, started Neon Beach in like January last year, 2020, December 2019, whatever. At the height, well, pre-pandemic, perfect timing in a way for that sort of product. Long story short, yeah, scaled the shit out of it. Um, I was just really into it. It was basically no one on the market doing it. And I tell you, like people always say, like, how do you come up with the ideas and shit? And it was literally a case of I just wanted that product and no one was really doing it. And then, yeah, I guess read the Twitter thread. I'll put it down below for like a more precise outline of what happened. But yeah, basically scaled it too quick. Got to the point where was doing like a million quid a month in like month six, which was great. Like ha- had interest from like Love Island to wanting to do a partnership, ended up doing that with them. Was producing everything in China, brought it over to the UK. Um, long story short, ended up working with a supplier that just couldn't keep up. Um, I don't think maliciously, they just had their own problems. I probably didn't do enough due diligence. I probably trusted people too much, et cetera, et cetera. Ended up like getting to Q4, um, yeah, both, both brands scaling and then kind of scaling like, maybe too hard in hindsight. And then basically like one and a half million quid's worth of orders didn't get delivered. Someone finds out who I am, shares my details online. Like you can imagine it's like the perfect storm. To be honest, I, I think it's the most fucked up e-commerce story I've ever heard. Like I, other than like major, major companies mm-hmm. like doing shit. And to be fair, like, other than life-threatening illness or death or whatever, definitely probably, in, well, I think the most brutal combination of things, like online abuse for months at one point, particularly in like January, which is a pretty shit month for everyone anyway. And it was a global pandemic. Yeah, the business was pretty fucked, like burning cash. I'm the only person involved in the business other than a bunch of freelancers basically didn't have a single employee at this point um i was the sole director owned 100 percent of the business in hindsight didn't have any proper guidance about a lot of things um yeah geez this is a whistle stop tour of it um definitely read the twitter thread because it's more like thought out but anyway long story short i thought i was going to sell the jewelry brand for like a million quid that ended up falling through for one reason or another um my focus completely shifted off that. That business ended up scaling down, even though that was a good business, it still is. Um, I put all my focus into Neon, which ended up being the fucking rotten egg of a business, basically. Um, yeah, long story short, I knew things were pretty fucked and I was like, okay, well, pretty much January, February of 2021, probably the worst two months of my life, to be fair. Um, I don't think I spoke to anyone about what was actually happening, maybe other than Fred. And even then it was only like, at the last minute, because 
I was literally saying, like, I'm not actually sure what the fuck to do here because I'm racking up this fucking Amex bill, refunding customers and shit. And basically, the, the worst part about it, which still pisses me off, and, and there's a load of stuff online, like Google my name, Neon Beach. There's probably websites. There are websites and Instagram pages from a very select few of people, select percentage of people, saying that I was this fucking fraud. Basically, people saying that I was making loads of money when the absolute opposite is true. I, I was doing everything I could to solve a problem which was caused by a third party that came down onto me. And then, like, lies online combined with, like, it's one thing dealing with a business that's basically lost a million quid in about three months. But it's another thing when you're doing that and again online abuse to the point where I had to change my phone number, et cetera, et cetera, d- disable my Instagram, and people are saying that you're a scam artist and shit when actually they, they just don't know anything about what's happening. So... Yeah, long story short, um, decided I needed help, ended up managing to do a deal with an investment fund who probably can speak about, but I won't speak about on the podcast. You can Google it and you find out. Um, and yeah, in March of this year, they basically bought 80% equity in, and I'd, I'd stupidly structured both the brands under, under one company, which I would never do again, which meant I lost a good business and a dying one, basically for pretty much no money in the end that they ended up putting in well over one and a half million quid into this whole situation so ultimately that's you know money that could have been mine if 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 i'd sold it in good circumstances or more but yeah that's pretty much what happened and then for the past six months and that six months actually ends officially tomorrow i think on monday uh like the 13th of september i've just been working for them as a minority shareholder in my own business basically which is like I've built in over three years or whatever, but I knew that's probably never going to be what I wanted to do. Um, making like a decent salary, but yeah, basically went from, yeah, making fucking on, on track for the business to make a million quid profit because it made half of that in the first half of 2020 to potentially not working, not, not knowing how the fuck I was going to pay rent because all my money was in the business really. And I'd put my own personal money into the business to try and solve problems, et cetera, et cetera, which is why it's even more, annoying when you, you get these trolls saying that I've bought a house in the Bahamas or something which is literally what someone said because I was on holiday in Barbados which is all paid for by points yeah but yeah that's pretty much what happened so yeah in a year went from thinking I was going to be a multi 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 millionaire in like the next year or two to yeah feeling like I was pretty close to being like pretty fucked um and ended up coming out the other side of it and being pragmatic about it and just, yeah, accepting what happened. But, but long story short, that's an 18-month story wrapped up into like two minutes. But definitely read the Twitter thread because it's a bit more precise on like time frames and stuff. So, yeah, I just think not enough people. I think this is definitely a pretty large L for someone of my age, to be fair, <laughs> which definitely is something to write about in like the future biography or whatever. But I definitely give myself credit for going after it. But, yeah. Um, I just think, you know, everyone thinks that anyone that runs a business just fucking wanks all day and makes prints a million quid a month. It's just not the truth. So, yeah, I just had a pretty shit year, but definitely learnt more than any other year and probably calloused my mind more than any, any other period of my life. But, and yeah, just learnt a lot about people. And, yeah, I guess you realize who your true friends are and stuff but well i probably didn't speak to friends enough about it to be honest for anyone to have a real stance but well, i think this is the first time we're probably gonna have like a see like proper conversation about it and i know we've talked yeah. about it probably go into a lot more detail uh, i mean i lived with you and i was worried a few bits but not all bits 
Yeah, I, I remember thinking consciously, I didn't really. Yeah, I was like, even lived to be fair. I don't know if she'll watch this. She definitely at the time didn't know the full extent. I probably gradually sprinkled what actually happened. She just saw I was getting abused online. Yeah. But point, I was paying for the holidays, so it's fine. At that point when I'm obviously... I hope this is still recording, fucking hell. We'll dive into when like when things started to go wrong and, and what that looked like. But when those things did start to go wrong, how long was it of that when you thought, oh, this is just a minor bump in the road, I'll get it sorted, versus having that oh shit moment? that okay this is yeah and what was that oh shit moment like do you remember sort of what it was? yeah i remember the oh shit moment but i think this is one they were about twitter as well and at the time it was probably quite gradual but i think as well i was probably lying to myself and just like not wanting to i knew stuff was going wrong but mm-hmm. this is the thing as well because a lot of people trolls would say why did you continue selling why did you continue running ads into black friday when if you knew there was factory problems, because I knew there was pending problems. But the reason for that is a few things. Firstly, there was a deal with Love Island and they had like minimums. And I, I wanted that to perform. They were running TV ads, et cetera. So there's third parties that have a financial interest in the business that also don't know what the fuck's going on. Secondly, when, they, when there's a lot of fucking, like people don't realize this, you can't just turn off your advertising. Like, e-commerce is like a momentum thing. And we were like doing bespoke products, et cetera, et cetera. Like the fucking customer service team alone was costing 35 grand a month. And there was like 25 people in the Philippines run by a US agency. So you kind of suddenly turn the taps off because then the people that are serving the customers to solve the problems, you can't, well, you could pay them, but you can't pay them forever if you don't got any revenue, et cetera. Yeah. It's a serious game. Yeah. And then cash flow is a problem because ended up getting like 20% payment reserves in like Q4, which is way more than the net margin. And then you're like, oh shit, and you're loading up your, loading up your Amex card and shit. And then I'd had revenue-based finance, which I probably didn't need in hindsight, which was actually from the fund that ended up buying the business. So in a way that had a silver lining that they knew about me. Right, fine, yeah, we're using this new software, so I had to, don't know what the fuck's going on. Ho- hopefully it's recording, had to pause it. Where was I? So is that recording? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, the cash flow. So payment processes start to fuck you because... Just, just go back a little bit. I'll let you two speak because I'm going to fucking lose my flow without any like direction on questioning this shit. But yeah, so obviously the, the average order value of this is like 300 quid. So it's not something that, that people forget about. It's not like a 10 pound subscription that you wouldn't even notice you're paying for. Like most of the stuff we're selling is bespoke. So the, the shipping time's longer. So just it just lends itself to more customer interactions and complaints and a bit more specific and the product's fucking horrible in hindsight like it's a beautiful product but when it goes wrong there's a lot of things that can go wrong it's very different to selling like a, a four pound chain from china which is what i used to do and selling for 60 quid but yeah so you end up getting chargebacks and, and refunds obviously and chargebacks have fees and then if you go over like one percent chargeback i think it was like 15 percent chargeback at peak in like december or whatever so the payment process end up holding money and yeah the, where, where was that? That's basically why I Just to give some clarity on like well, what a chargeback is, because I, I didn't fully, I'm not in e-com, more in, obviously we've got coaching and info yeah. education business. But when you get a chargeback, you've, you've paid for the product to yeah. your supplier. Plus then you've got to refund the full amount. Plus there's what, a massive fee on with the banks or something. Yeah, so it's lose, lose, lose. So it's like, it's like you paid for a chunk as well. Yeah, so you've lost three. And your customer's pissed off and has written a one-star review with your parents' address on which is what happens to me. Yeah. So was the business registered to your parents' address? No. 
Of course not. How the fuck did they get out of Prince Stress? I think what it was, and I'll just come back to the original question in a minute, but I think okay. what it was, I figured out, is because I, I had a business when I was like 17 that I'd registered mm-hmm. that because of my age had to be. Oh, uh, right. Yeah. 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 Okay. And then you can go on company's house. And a lot of people don't realise this because they're retarded, but, well, maybe not because certainly trolls don't realise this because they are retarded. You can go on company's house in the UK and basically find out how much people, money people have got in the bank, like to an extent. To an extent. There's clever accounting or whatever, it, but. And that's unique to the UK. And it, in many ways, it's good. But in, in this sort of scenario, it's pretty fucked. You know, if I was registered in Dubai or even America, that wouldn't have been the case, I don't think. But yeah, the original question was, when did I realise things were going wrong? But that was the answer to why I kept scaling things. And I guess you gradually think things are going wrong, but I think everyone is guilty of... Because like problems happen all the time in running a business and just being an entrepreneur. But this was a pretty large-scale problem. I, sp- I probably realised properly things were wrong and they didn't sleep well for six months when I had to call my account and they were like you do realise the business is insolvent and I was like what does that mean because like yeah, I'm not going to name the account but they were charging way too much money the management accounts were like three months late so when the business has gone from making 100 grand a month profit to I think in one month losing like half a million quid in one calendar month and your management accounts are three months late and yeah it's not a good combination to know where you're actually at and they were like, yeah, it's not great. And in hindsight, to be honest, I'm not passing the blame, but I'm very surprised they didn't like highlight this to me quick. It obviously knew the general position. I knew it was fucked, but a bit of me was just like, well, I can't, I can't stop the music because I've got, you know, like you just said, the obligations and so on. So, yeah, and I was like, oh, fuck. And and that's another massive lesson, like just having good finance systems and financial yeah it's absolutely key it's what you get to a certain level i'm at that level now where i want to be seeing at least three four times a week financial reports of the business that are up to date yeah um because i've been guilty of that um months go by and then you check the accounts and obviously the cash is in the bank Mm. is not the cash that's in the business yeah yeah Um, you could have half a million quid cash in the bank but that could be all that money that's that's due or... Yeah, 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 exactly that. And creditors owed far more than that. So, um, but yeah, but like, carry on. Yeah, because, uh, yeah, this is probably a topic my, my fucking account would hate me to speak about. But yeah, I remember speaking to Fred about this because, I mean, yeah, it's just one thing that a lot of, I guess, entrepreneurs are like, oh, I want to get a, a million quid in the bank, all this bollocks. But yeah, you don't realise that, and in my case, it, it wasn't, it was mainly, yeah, the, the business had revenue-based finance of like 400 grand or whatever, which probably in hindsight didn't need, but you get these companies like Clearbank and so on, mm-hmm. just offering you money. And it's like, well, especially Kobe, because I was getting other third party by saying like, yeah, take on as much like cheap debt basically as possible, because we don't know what's going to happen to fucking businesses. Like at one point, everyone, you know, People were speaking about like, yeah, every fucking business is going to be fucked, all this shit. And if e-commerce actually ended up being better than ever, which was part of the problem. And did you, did you personally guaranteed any of these loans or? Uh, well, yeah. Oh, for the well, revenue-based financing? No. So it's kind of like... Not with these guys. Um, okay, so it wasn't too like crazy risky. Like it's, well, it's this, I wouldn't even know. I didn't even know what fucking personal guarantee was a year ago, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean... Yeah, yeah, like shit like Amex, for example. Um, you know, people like flexing their metal Amex cards, but 
And again, I spoke to a lot of people about this, but then Amex will give you a fucking 600 grand limit when you've used them for three years and spend consistently. And give you triple points. Yeah. advise you to spend more. Yeah. And, 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 <laughs> and the, the problem was for me, I, I ended up, and this is why, again, it comes back to these fucking trolls not knowing what the hell they're talking about, is I was basically, had to refund like literally over a million quid's worth of orders, which by the way, I'd paid for and then had a charge back on. So it was like a lose, lose, lose. And then ended up loading up the business Amex basically to pay customers back yeah. because all the while and this is the thing as well when shit went wrong and to this day like so like there was this one particular troll like some anonymous person who was i remember putting some out on the website like january trying to just like this is when i was like yeah shit's pretty fucked but we are working on it and it was the first time i'd like publicly put my name to anything or whatever because people had put it out there without me knowing for, for, for however they'd done that i don't know um and what was I saying? Yeah, just refunded a shitload of people. And yeah, yeah, people not realizing that that's what was going on. Like it, people don't get it. Like it's impossible to fix that scale of problems in in a week, especially when the, the business was entirely self-funded. No, like it's not like a fucking Silicon Valley business where we've got 500 million quid in the bank to just throw at problems. So, so let's, yeah, people just didn't realize that let's when all this heat came on. Oh, you got to go? Yeah, you're good. Go on, next one. Yeah. Lovely. Right, boys, enjoy. Enjoy your dinner. Yeah, we'll just cut that bit out. Well, I'm I'm keen to know, going back to the start, I just want to give the viewers sort of an understanding of the magnitude of how it went from literally zero to 100 real quick. Because I remember my, my first memory of Neon Beach was, because before I, I knew you when I first met you, you would do the jewelry brand and sort of knew kind of the numbers you're doing that you told me and was like, like you were saying, a couple hundred grand a month. Yeah. How, how long have you been in that business for? That brand before I knew only like a year, but then I'd, I'd been doing, okay. I'd been running a multi-million revenue level for like three years prior to that. Yeah. So like, it's not like this just was your first business that went crazy. But then, so my, my first memory was, yeah. I think it was December, you were having a party at the penthouse and it had obviously even neon signs yeah. there. And you were telling me sort of like kind of hit a sweet spot. You only, like you said, created it because you wanted the product. And then you found just because obviously the aesthetic of the product and it just was really starting to pop off. So what point did you realize, oh shit, I'm onto something here. Was it a certain revenue amount? Was it sort of, uh, because yeah, from, from, you know, do you remember sort of the numbers from month one, month two, yeah. month three? Well, so before I go into that, because that's one thing, and this, again, I keep coming back to the trolls, but this is the shit that still haunts me to this day, like so much. All these people, like we're talking literally hundreds of people like give me death threats and shit for like the whole of January and whatever, like ultimately when 50 million people see your ads and it was probably something like that, you know, only, you only need 0.0001% of them to be like 500 nutters. Yeah. But I, I didn't even start this business to make money. I already had a good business. So that's why when people say like, and I, well, I'll get into that later, but I started this business. So I was like the pink neon aesthetic and it was a real like passion project for me, weirdly. Because you're, des- you're a designer. Yeah, I would call myself a designer yeah. for an entrepreneur initially and certainly not a fucking scam artist. Like these pussies online are saying. So yeah, like there was a lot more depth to why I started it, right? Like, it was never to make money. There's a lot of easier things to do. Like I used to do, I used to drop ship fucking kitchen gadgets from China on like random websites and make more money than Neon was making in the first few months. 
But I, I, I was trying to build a brand, which I'd already done with Midnight to a smaller scale. So, yeah, like I, you know, people say focus on one thing. I, I, I didn't plan on launching a second brand. And then I just started this thing because it was a genuine interest of mine. And that's why I think it went so well. So, yeah, I remember I literally made the logo, did, did all the ads. So famously, I mean, all these fucking ads. Mm. And it was like a new genre of fucking Instagram ad in a way. I'd never seen anyone do neon lights. And it's obviously by definition, like the most Instagrammable thing ever. Done all, all of it myself, like built the website, et cetera, et cetera. And obviously these are skill set that I've built up over years. So, and that's another thing as well. Like there is a skill set involved. You can't just launch a fucking, this is why it baffles me when people think it's a scam. It's like. Well, that's the reason I asked, because obviously in, in the first six months you were doing like a, what, the sort of run rate, like eight figures. Yeah, pretty much. I went on a podcast actually, like July 2020. Mm-hmm. And, th- th- you know, th- whatever, they give him slightly exaggerated names, but they called it eight figures in eight months. And I thought it sounded pretty sick because the run rate, the run rate was eight figures in eight months. Cause it was doing like a million a month or whatever. But that wasn't just your first eight months in ecom. That's the point I'm trying to get. Across. Yeah. It was like years and years and years of building skills. Yeah. Then, yeah, brand building, ecom skills. I ran all the ads myself, et cetera, first. And I remember in the first month, it did like 100 grand, literally in the first month. And that was like January 2020. And, then, and this was uh, fully bootstrapped as well, your own cash. Yeah, like cash flow that I had from yeah the other business and stupidly didn't set up a new limited company because I didn't think it would be anything. And then whatever, didn't have the right advice at the right time. Mm-hmm. And then... So 100K month one. Yeah, I think it did 100K, 250K. 500k, 700k, 900k by like month six. So much. month six, you build business. And then from there until like Q4, I was doing similar. And then in Q4, I did like 1.5 million. Wow. Or in Q4 in, in November. Um, but, but that was that was the 1.5 million of problem products. Um, and so, but, but yeah. So at that point, just again to give some context to the magnitude of what you do, you had a business that by month six was pulling in pretty much a million pounds a month and this was you working with literally this iMac in front of us here yeah at sort of a dining room table in your apartment with Fred with how many actual PAYE employees I, I had zero employees zero and employees. I just, yeah I probably had at, at the peak like 25 customer service people maybe five freelancers two agencies which are, by the way I actually think having a PAYE employee and I, that did happen later ironically just as shit was falling down mm-hmm. it's I'm not even sure that's needed, but I guess that's probably another podcast. I'm certainly an expert on that. Oh, well, yeah. In terms of then whether PAE, yeah, it was just like a team and no one that had, yeah, no one with any experience basically, and there was no one. I, I, I built up decent experience across like all facets of, of e-commerce, but in hindsight, definitely, obviously, didn't have enough experience like with supply chain. And the problem with this product is ultimately people call it dropship to whatever. It's not dropship because it's kind of different. It's, so we had like three dedicated factories in China, pretty much, which obviously I've never met because of fucking COVID. Can't go out there. Um, everything's made to order because most of the stuff's bespoke. So that's just the nature of the model. And that was what the competitors were doing. And there's probably one or two competitors, to be fair, that were before Neon Beach. And then there was a shitload of copycats. And I think most of those have died out as well because it's a hard model. But yeah, the, the point is that I had experience. And I, I knew how to run a smooth, more traditional e-com brand. But this one just had problems that Midnight would never run into due to the nature of the model. But yeah, it scales so quick. It was right place, right time. It was something I was into. And then I, I still think it's a sick brand. It's, it's such a shame in a way. I was like, yeah, if I just, that's probably like the, the most 
poignant emotion. It's just too like yeah. fucking pissed off. Like fuck's sake. So I remember saying to Fred, "Oh yeah, finally found like the one, the one that's going to be that hundred million pound brand, and that'll be the next one." But I thought it was this one, and I was just really into it. And I, yeah, just pissed me off more than anything that that it went so wrong, and, and people viewed it the wrong way. So so looking back yeah. now, then obviously you were business pretty much six months in, eight figure run rate, and most eight figure e commerce businesses probably have like full time financial yeah, directors, full time supply chain logistics product head of marketing whatever and you were pretty much and you're like full stack entrepreneur like you can run the ads you do the designs managing the fulfillment um but looking back now then what was the sort of things maybe you wish you could have done differently was it having maybe and even to hire a good fucking team can take months and oh jesus so almost when you scale that quick it's almost like if you went out to try and find more team members it would have taken you um, quite a while and the last thing you want to be doing is, is rushing hires and try and pull in um, a C-suite of chief yeah, chief that. to be honest think about it now and I've had this debate with a few people so I went from like living for like the first two years for like 2017 or whatever 2017, 18 pretty much 19 as well mm-hmm. do like the whole barley laptop thing where everything was very very lean and I was doing more like drop shipping stuff so I wasn't building brands so I was kind of irrelevant and then I don't know what it was I think I thought that I needed, obviously I moved to London like two and a half years ago, whatever, that, that was good. But then I thought I needed to try and outsource everything and and like, well, I, I didn't have POI employees and, and so on, but kind of ironic to the point of making, but I thought, oh, I, I need to get an agency to do everything, even though I used to do it on myself, which increased the costs and didn't necessarily increase the performance. But I was like, oh, I'm building a proper business now because mm-hmm. I want to detach myself. Whereas previously, I was just effectively a very highly paid artist in a way. And I just learned these skills and I was doing everything. Then I got obsessed with the idea of it to fucking outsource everything to the point where I don't even need to work much. But then that was probably part of the problem. And then, yeah, I, then I got to the next stage of that, which was in like mid 2020, where I was like, oh, I want to start hiring proper people. Like, mm-hmm. And that did happen. Ended up being a few employees that came in, but they came in just as I figured out shit was going wrong. And then that was really hard in itself to not, like people you just employed. There was like three people, like PAY employees, because I thought, oh, I wanted it. Like there was even talks of getting an office in the middle of COVID, you know, yeah. like September 2020. Me and Fred actually nearly got an office. I don't know. I just had this idea sure? to yeah. formalize things. Mm-hmm. Whereas now I think that's retarded. Um, so yeah, that's probably part of the problem is going from doing a lot of stuff myself, which actually worked better in a way, to then outsourcing a load of stuff, particularly customer service, but, but that kind of has to happen at that scale. And then going to the next level, they go, oh, I need to outsource even more by getting people that can like replace the management stuff and uh, a few people that I ended up hiring. And Yeah, I mean, that's probably, you could speak about that for an hour in itself. But yeah, but I think what people don't realise and there's no right or wrong and I don't think entrepreneurs are better than employees or whatever and you get these cunts on Twitter like money Twitter that say if you're not, if you're not an entrepreneur by the time you're 14 months old or 14 days out of the womb then you're a fucking failure <laughs> and I don't think that at all because I've been an employee basically in my own business well not even in my own business really but what used to be my business the past six months that's definitely humbled me in ways and whatever but the point is 
and this might offend people, I don't care. Like the, there's a huge difference between getting a paycheck on PAYE, clocking at nine to five, whatever it is, it's compared to running a business, especially when it's big. Like, you literally don't know what the fuck you're doing, because so you have to learn it. And then there's something else that comes up, like hiring someone, and you don't know what the fuck you're doing. So, yeah, I don't know. I just think people that... You take, like, massive risks. Who do people think employs people? It's ultimately businesses... Granted, a lot of corporate big businesses, but those corporate big businesses were started by someone at some point. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. It, you always get paid less as a leader. But, I think yeah. you're just talking about the risk, the risk that you're taking on a business owner and um, you're talking about obviously how. Yeah, I guess just people that have never done it, not understanding the pressures, especially when things go wrong. So let's, let's, let's into context then. Let's say, you know, you're pulling in a million pounds a month to a lot of people. That's a huge, huge number. But really, there's very like thin margins on that and then yeah. one you the r- level of risk that you're taking on is like can can cause like crippling anxiety when you're you've got just as you know one thing that can go wrong can destroy the whole business but you've got people to pay you've got mouths to feed you've got mm. orders to ship and you know it's not like you've got a million quid in your pocket every single month you're getting paid it's actually you're getting paid last and even then you're probably not having to pay yourself yeah there's a few parts to that because yeah that's a good point actually like particularly particularly like younger people or whatever and people that aren't in the entrepreneurial space whatever they'll hear and this is a thing this is a problem with like programs like dragon's den as well and whatever people say people say you're making like gurus will say it they'll say i'm making a million quid a month what they mean is their revenue is a million quid a month but that's the first point Secondly, that's the business's money, technically. And mm-hmm. A business is a different legal entity to a person mm-hmm. for reasons, and I didn't structure that well enough in hindsight. And then on top of that, like the net margin on that million was probably like 8%. So like maybe 15% in like Q4 or whatever. It's probably between 8 and 15%. So 80 grand is 150 grand a month profit, whatever. That's great. Then the second part that people don't think about is the cash flow element. Yeah. So you're not getting all that money up front all the time because firstly, payment process, I got screwed by payment processes. Um, so then they, they end up holding more than your net margin, which doesn't happen usually, by the way, they're just sell a problem. But even if it's normal and they don't hold any money, in e-commerce, so say you're netting 100, 100 grand a month, whatever, loads of money. Firstly, you need to reinvest that into ads. Like mm-hmm. the, this is profit. So like, yeah, granted, you've covered the ad cost of that month, but to scale it, you need to reinvest that. You need to buy stock in usual, even with the, the drop shipping model I was using, was it paying factories up front to get a reduced price on the, the meter of LED light? How, how much are you paying up front? You're paying like, what, 23%? One of the factories ended up paying like 400 grand up front, but usually you pay like 50% up front mm-hmm. and then 50% on shipment. That's pretty standard. And then, yeah, even assuming that you've got, a million pound in the bank account or whatever, the business bank account. That's, that's then, that's not then your, okay, it's your money because you own the whole thing, you own the whole business, whatever. Like, there's obviously a lot of clever accounting ways you can, whatever, but that's still not your money. And yeah, I just think people get it confused. Like, if Ronaldo's on 500 grand a week after tax personally, then yeah, he's making 2 million quid a month. But it's fucking Ronaldo. Like, yeah, I mean... For a, for an entrepreneur or a business owner to personally make two million pound a month, the business has probably got to be doing a fucking billion a month in revenue. Is what I'm saying. It's just very different. Mm-hmm. Like revenue doesn't equal doesn't equal profit. Firstly, doesn't even equal cash in many cases, and certainly doesn't equal money in your pocket. So I remember there's literally comments 
on all the there was like these Facebook pages and shit, like communities of like five hundred people set up by very lost and troubled individuals. And uh, yeah, I remember one of them just saying like, "This guy is off buying these cars with our money," and it was like, Jesus Christ! Like for a start, I have another brand which has been successful. Like go on company's house, like the business was making three hundred grand a year net profit for three years prior to any of this. So yeah, I mean. Yeah, you get the idea. It's just people don't... It's just a very strange world we live in and people make wild fucking... People just firstly make stupid claims about money and just don't know what the fuck they're talking about. <laughs> like from an outside perspective. And then secondly... Yeah, if they're not actually in the game, like, they just can't understand. And like, just a point on that. I'm not, not going to say their name, but Billy would know these guys. So those is like... This is just one example of this sort of thinking which is retarded. There was this, like, I don't know, creatives or whatever, this videographer company we worked with, like, two guys. Like, last year, I think it was, like, three grand a day or whatever, which was a fucking rip-off, but they thought they could name the price because, you know, they know the business is doing, like, big scale or whatever. And I remember they didn't deliver what they meant to deliver, and I said to them, well, like, basically, they submitted a load of raw files I was then meant to edit. I didn't have an editor. I was paying them to fucking edit a video. And like film it, edit it, deliver it in final format. And they were like, oh, that's going to be an extra cost. And they were like, your business is making all this fucking money and you're trying to you're trying to get us to do more work. And they were like playing the whole starving artist bollocks. So actually, their business was making way more than my business was making. Clearly in those few months, because shit was hitting the fans. So the point is, just people make a lot of assumptions, particularly people that don't have any experience in the game that they're making assumptions about. And it just really fucking pisses me off. So, yeah, go on many tangents, but that was the point. And so how's how's the last, well, six months been then sort of just what's, what's um, you know, what the last six months look like and, and what's uh, sort of plans now moving forward? Yeah, so Cause it's been an emotional, like, and I don't think you probably talked about it, like how, how, how hard has it hit you emotionally? Because again, I don't want the audience to think, that oh, you had these troubles. Yeah, it was like two different questions. You've exited the business and now you're just chilling in this nice apartment and it's all fucking... Well, yeah, I'll address the the, the first part first and then yeah. fucking make sure shit. So the, the way it works is ultimately this fund paid a load of money to buy my brands out of trouble, mm. basically. And ultimately... It was, that, was that just to pay off the creditors, really? or Yeah, basically. Yeah. Um and because I could have shut my laptop, fucked off to South America and just said, I'm not dealing with this. Yeah. I spent like two months and this is all in the Twitter thread, but in less detail, knowing that I needed help when I finally fucking like, yeah, just knowing I needed help. And I was like, well, I need to get an investor or blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to get the exact like legalities of it or whatever, but I literally like was Googling, what do I do when my business is fucked? Because I, like literally though and then I'd get on the call get, I literally went like Google ads these fucking law firms etc I called them whatever anyway long story short I ended up speaking to loads of funds this is back in like February 2021 who were interested because a slight, slight sidetrack this is the thing as well how the fuck is a business a scam which people still say some people if a multi multi-million pound fund invested a huge amount of money into it you don't think they did their due diligence like it just mm-hmm. baffles me and do you not think they did their due diligence on me as well? Like, if I was a complete fraudster, A, why would I have a brand that's public? Why would I not be doing some dodgy shit in Bitcoin or whatever? 
and B, well, how would a why would a fund like that put a load of money into it? And people can go and Google this. I'm not fucking making this up. It's a fact. And buy the brands out if it was a scam. So that's, that's the first point. And then, yeah, anyway, the, the, there was a bunch of offers or whatever because firstly, they knew that the business had done well in the past and they knew there was potential there, particularly because there was two brands involved because of the way I structured the business stupidly in hindsight. And secondly, because I think they liked me, which... Yeah, I just had to tell them what the fuck had happened. And you speak to these guys like an hour on a call. And I was probably very colourful with my language and so on, which I'm being on this podcast because it's just how I speak. You sound all of that inside of you. Yeah, I'd never been trained in this corporate jargon because I'd never had a job in a corporate company. Mm -hmm. And that's just the way I'd done things. Anyway, ended up agreeing to work with these guys, which was partly my choice, but largely their choice and lawyer's choice or whatever. They offered the most money or whatever it was. And then ultimately, all the money they put in, like, like a little over a million quid, like I said, basically that was the money that ended up paying customers back and solving problems. And then the cost of that was me losing 80%, 80% equity in the business I'd spent <laughs> three, four years building. And the other brands that I nearly sold for a million quid, I probably could have sold for half of that if it was separate. So yeah, I got, that was the only thing to do though. That was the right thing to do to, to put things right for customers because even though it wasn't my fault. And again, this is why it pissed me off and trolls say I'm a scam eyes. I didn't have to do that. I could have just shut my laptop and no one would have got the money back realistically, unless they disputed it with the payment process or whatever, but it might take months. Um, so yeah, all the customers over the past six months, first thing, yeah, they all got the money back, et cetera, et cetera, whatever. Loads of problems were solved. Working with them to incorporate these brands. Basically, the way this was, this fund had started a new second business, literally. We hadn't even officially founded it yet. And then they, they, they want to buy up a load of econ brands, similar to like these Amazon roll-up funds. And the idea is they raise a load of money, like whatever. And then they buy a hundred brands for like bedroom brands for like a million pound each. They spend a hundred million quid buying brands. They can then over five, 10 years, grow that into the next hub group that's worth three billion quid. That's the idea on paper. So both my brands ended up being the first two just by chance because I'd known them previously through whatever. Um, through the lending. Yeah. And then, yeah, and then they were like, okay, fuck, we weren't planning on buying brands just yet, but this fucked up opportunity has happened. We get on well with this guy, went to meet them, whatever. And then, yeah, that's what happened. So then I've been working with them for the past six months. Um, long story short, like, that took a lot of pressure off, but so that was a good thing. It solved all the problems. But then ultimately, Neon Beach was fucked, to be honest. Like, it's hard to repair a brand when it's got six and a half thousand one star trust kind of views that are very, very flamboyant and in depth. Like, and all, all these websites that you could probably get removed if you spent months chasing them down. But, you know, saying it's a scam, whatever, it's a pretty tainted brand at that point. Um, but still has potential. Um, and then, yeah, I've been working with them for six months. It was always an initial six months. Um, long story short, about a month ago, they said to me, well, there's two options here now. So at the end of the six months, whatever, you can either have a, a very small bit of equity in this next, in this brands group, which sounds great, but what, it's, I mean, to be fair, no, it was a great offer. They've, they've done a lot for me, et cetera, et cetera. And I really like them and I'll probably continue to work with them in some capacity, but I just didn't want to work in a big corporate long term I just think I would regret not doing my own thing again the other option was they'd buy out my remaining 20% for 
what is ultimately very little money compared to what I could have got a year ago or whatever. But at the same time, you know, the money that I could have got went into solving the problems and paying customers back. So mm-hmm. that's what happened. And then, yeah, I decided to do that. So it's a bit of a transition period. So yeah, I'm not going to be working on either brand going forward. I kind of haven't been for like the past two months anyway, to be honest. Um, And then, yeah, I've been working on the next brand already because obviously that's what I'm going to do. What the fuck else am I going to do? Um, And I guess, yeah, a few things that have come from, obviously, like, it's not like, because in many ways it's like, oh, fuck, I'm back to square one. Like, lost most of my money. It is what it is. Sold my car. You've got the skill set. Right, so, yeah, exactly. That was the right time to do it. But the one thing I just, yeah, like, I beat myself up about it, but you can't, the, the few things you can't take away are experience and network. And I spoke about this in my mm. Twitter thread. So experience being that I know easily what the fuck to do to start sign of a brand. I don't have to buy a course on it. I'll spend six months fucking asking people to buy it. I'll just do it with more experience. Granted, like, I've got to come up with concepts and it didn't happen overnight, et cetera, et cetera. And then secondly, networks. And now, like, I'm pretty, I get on well with the founder of this fund. Like, he's actively said, you know, be interested in working together, potentially investing in your next thing if you want, et cetera. So there's all that network. And yeah, I suppose ultimately people that are worth knowing will, like other entrepreneurs understand that shit can go wrong. And like, I've had calls with other people or whatever. And like, ultimately most super successful people have been fucked in the arse probably once or twice, not mm-hmm. literally in a business sense, or maybe literally. Um, yeah, I'm sure most people are probably not at this scale at my age, but and I don't wish it upon anyone, but yeah, I don't think I'll have a fuckery this hard probably ever again, I hope. Certainly not in the same way. <laughs> so yeah, basically, that's where I'm at now. It's a bit of a limbo stage. Like, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, hard work, moving on to the next thing, like, yeah, I, like I said, I could have very easily just shut my laptop when shit was going wrong and just fucked off or whatever, but obviously I wasn't going to do that because I had to solve the problem. I, I knew that, very aware of the fact that I didn't want to fucking burn all these bridges with, mm. I don't know, whatever, people that had an interest in the business or customers, not that we're fucking friends now, but yeah, so I just proactively was like, okay, fine, be pragma- pragmatic about it. Six months of feeling a bit like a fucking employee, but it's better than, well, like an employee but it's better than what could have happened which is no one got sorted the business went fucked and there was no next step so yeah I, I definitely rate myself that I even when I just wanted to fucking jump off a cliff to be honest in like January February literally do with like what the fuck do I do because once you've got that skill set and that mindset I think it gets put to test it gets put to the test when shit goes really wrong so how how bad was it emotionally? Like, what's, like, was it, you know, I guess what? Did yeah, you sleepless nights, guys. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I would say sleepless nights to start is like one thing. But yeah, I, there was a period in January where I wanted to kill myself. I was literally like, fuck this. I, I, I say I've always struggled with like mental health challenges or whatever. But like fucking everyone these days in social media generation. It's, I think entrepreneurship has probably done that to me and made me like borderline bipolar. Mm-hmm. Which is, yeah, I mean... You almost have to become numb to it. Yeah, but I, I know, obviously, I have friends and 
acquaintances or whatever that, that I definitely look at. I think they have probably their heads screwed on a bit better. But yeah, I think my gift and curse is that my mind is very active and very probably ADHD, probably borderline like fucking Asperger's or whatever. Um, so when stuff's going very well, I like act on things and move very quickly and stuff. But when the stuff goes bad, it's like, fuck this, fuck this. And I've always been a bit like that, like even when I was like a teenager and stuff. And I probably masked that a bit when I started like getting money and being successful in my early twenties and stuff. And then it was like, fuck yeah, the feeling was to be fair, this is kind of deep. It was like, oh fuck, like now I feel like I've lost that success. I'm now back to fit. I felt like a little kid again. It was like, oh shit, everyone's taking the piss out of me. Everyone thinks I'm a scam artist. And it reminded me of being 18 and having a clothing brand and these cunts in the year below taking the piss out of me. So, yeah, it was a bit like that. And then, yeah, I don't know, just thinking probably, and I had like therapy for like a few weeks, but I just didn't get, didn't get on very well with it. I should probably pursue it again. But one thing I spoke about with this bloke, this therapist, was, yeah, I probably put my entire like self-worth and value on like the money and success that I was having for years. And the numbers, you guys, I'm guilty of it as well. And I'm sure all of us are, when you're an entrepreneur in your business, you become so attached to the numbers. And you're obviously, you know, every day with our obsessive personalities, we're we're constantly chasing that success. And that that metric is pretty much all the time, revenue. Yeah. What what revenue they're going to give to. And when, when shit hits the fan, that's almost like crushing your identity. And... I'm get, like when I have a month where maybe revenue dips or it's a lot lower than it is in the past, you then take that really personally think, fuck it, why shit? Maybe I'm not yeah. as good as, because when it's going good, you think I'm, I am fucking smart. Yeah. Like you think you are the dog's bonnets. You get so cocky, maybe not cocky, but very self-confident. And let's be honest, we all are very high functioning, smart people. And it's taken us a decade, well, yeah. say decades, like my entrepreneurship journey is probably coming up to like nine, 10 years. So it's not happened overnight, like this mindset and skill sets that we have, but yeah. And you get, you start to take it personally and it crushes you when, um, but that's, that's something we have to learn to do, not get attached to the numbers, focus on the other things. Like you said, like, okay, network, skill set, knowledge, strip everything away from us right now, all the, all the money, all the business, you know, give us a laptop and an internet connection and, another six months and we're back on our feet yeah so obviously just coming off that last point we definitely mentally it is so up and down and I I remember working in when I used to work in sales many years ago we used to call it champagne and razor blades because you'd have a wicked a wicked day or you'd close a deal or wicked week and it'd be high on life thinking like I said you're thinking yeah I'm sick of this everything's paying off and then the next day the next week a deal falls through something goes wrong and it's like one day popping champagne bottles the next day you got the the razor blades out and um, I remember being taught very early on in sales that when you have the good days you've just still got to keep level-headed and then when you have the bad days you again keep level-headed and just trust it's part of the process part of the journey yeah even then as I transitioned to the business scaling a business that I've got now which is you know, we're, we're seven figure business with teams and, and cash flows and all these things you have to think about. Um, and again, so obsessive with trying to scale the business. Cause like for us, it's the thought of just maintaining and plateauing the same revenue numbers for a year is like a worst nightmare. You do get so attached to the numbers and then it can affect your mental health. And you do sometimes have to catch yourself, take a step back and realize, okay, um, 
revenue side, like all the other things you've got, which I use gratitude, I think is such like an overused term, but that you've actually got and, and got to just appreciate, okay, even if revenue numbers are down, still tr- growing as a person. And that's ultimately what's down to growing as a person, getting better as a person. I'm sure this process for you, like this will be, you're going to be fucking 50, 60 years old, looking back on this. I think that was probably yeah, the most powerful learning experiences. Well, yeah. And the, mo- the amount of growth that you've had as an individual over the last 12, 18 months, even though probably at times, maybe you thought like, I don't know whether you put it your head, do you think, oh, I'm a failure or I failed, da, 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 da. You can't deny that you've had more growth over the last six, 12 months than probably at any other period in your life, which that yeah, effect definitely. compounded now over the next 20, 30, 40 years of your career. Probably you're going to look back at this and think, that darkest time was probably... Yeah, well, it's a pretty good story, to be fair. And, yeah, like, only in the past probably two... Like, I think I took six months off Instagram, like, changed my phone number and shit, and it was pretty much like I wanted to solve all the problems and mm-hmm. whatever until I resurfaced. But now it's just like... I'm sure there'll be some comments on this from some hater from the past. But I just... Yeah, at the end of the day... That's what happened. Like, I was fucked way harder than any customer that lost 300 quid and got their money back a month later. Well, what was the biggest thing that I think affected you mentally? Was it the fact that you were being outed by all these haters and trolled? And you say, if you alluded to the fact you've experienced that on a much, much smaller scale before at the start of your career. Yeah. But this is probably the first time you've experienced it from really like customers. What were the, these few select trolls that didn't really understand the full picture? Or do you think it was the fact that you had this massive business? And I remember being, you know, hanging out with you, being at parties and you tell me how good business is going and thinking, oh, two, three, how many years time as a potential exit for these huge numbers. What was the big, what was the biggest thing that took the biggest toll on your sort of mental health and emotions? Yeah, I think. I guess everything really. The trolling stuff is more like just icing on the cake. Like at the end of the day, these people are literally ill. Like, I've said it before in, like, a freestyle rap, and I'll say it again, like, no one who's ever done anything of significance with their time or life has written a hate comment online. True. Like, even to a fucking... Like, I wouldn't even write a hate comment... I don't know, fucking Donald Trump... Not Donald Trump. If if some politician came out tomorrow and said, you can't leave the house without a hazmat suit because of COVID, and I thought I was fucked, I wouldn't even leave a hate comment then. Mm-hmm. Because people of any substance in life don't write hate online and genuinely don't hate that much in general because it's a very useless emotion so yeah like that pissed me off and it it, it hurt upset me because like it was the, the opposite of what was happening and i just didn't like the idea in fact one little bit of the tale i didn't go into which got really pretty really fucked actually was in january just before and i have my theories about who or what happened in terms of sharing my address my parents address and the phone number and whatever and that will remain private forever probably but yeah anyway some fucking daily mail reporter this was the worst day actually the worst i think it was maybe a few day period but this was the first day on his side a daily mail my mum rang me and said and this was like january like middle of january like rainy fucking cold middle of like 8 p.m or whatever just like shit for most people anyway just shit time of year my mum rang me like nearly in tears i was like what the fuck's going on 
because they didn't really know what's going on. I have to tell them after this. Some fucking Daily Mail report, and I'm not exaggerating here, had rocked up at my parents' house saying, we're here to speak to your son who's a scam artist. And I was like, oh, fuck. I just remember feeling sick and then just going for a walk. And then I think it was a few days later, when I don't know if it was the same day or something, when someone shared my phone number online, it just all got very real. And I just genuinely, that was when I just actually thought, fuck this, I just, I just want to kill myself. I've probably said that a few times in my life. I never actually really meant it, but that's, that's how I felt. That, that was the worst, like, day-to-day shit. Because um, that was, like, peak business problem. Did have, and, and I remember having to call ITV, yeah. Don, and this is this guy who'd... Was, I was dealing with ITV because of the, the, the Love Island thing, which had then been cancelled because... Well, it's kind of mutual. I just don't remember. It's kind of mutually cancelled... I didn't have the team to manage it and then they saw what was happening they started saying well we can't work with the brand that's getting all this, this shit blah 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 I then called them and said what do I do I've never dealt with the press before Like, and they were just like don't speak to them send them an email don't speak to them on the phone because I, I, then I had this fucking reporter I don't know if it's the same one or someone else he, like messaging me on WhatsApp it's like pestering me he left a fucking letter at the door so he'd come to the flat at like night time which I thought was weird the flat here yeah, where I used to live. I remember just, I just think I want to fucking strangle this, this cunt. And he was, at the end of the day, he, he'd obviously just acted on a lie that was told to him. Someone's perception was doing his job, whatever. So not him, but the situation was just fucked. And I remember just being, there was an image of me next to a fancy car I'd bought, which was on my private Instagram account. Someone had, I don't know, followed me and I'd accepted the follow request, whatever happened. That image got shared around all these Facebook groups. And he, I think he'd even referenced it in an email to me saying blah, blah, blah. And I just remember thinking like, the worst case here is an article comes out and you can see it. It's perfect fucking Daily Mail, Sun, tabloid bollocks. Mm-hmm. Like multi-billionaire scam artists makes his money from vulnerable, like people that have lost their jobs in COVID or whatever, with a picture of me and my fucking nice car. And these reporters, they're not there to find out the truth. They're there to, of course they're not. They're there to get a good story and get the clicks. And I, to this day, I, I don't know why nothing was ever published. I, I think my... I've got away with words. I think I sent him like a thousand word email just telling him the truth. Mm-hmm. And this happened with Witch Magazine as well because Witch Magazine actually ended up publishing some of it. It wasn't personal. They're, they're a bit more of a reputable organisation. They just put some out saying what happened and it was kind of factual. But yeah, I remember just sending an email to this Don just like desperately thinking, well, I can't say nothing because then he's got nothing to go on but I don't want to get on a phone call with him because I'll twist my words mm-hmm. and I might freak out or whatever. So yeah, so I just sent an email and then ultimately nothing was ever published on the Daily Mail. But I remember searching the Daily Mail like every morning for about a month thinking, fuck, when's it coming out? When's it coming out? Yeah. And then for, for, I don't know what happened. This guy obviously, he, met, he maybe had other information or ultimately believed me, did a bit of research. And then, yeah, actually there was another funny one. Fuck it out. There's a lot of stress that's happened. Jesus fucking Christ. This happened a bit later, but this kind of similar topic. So the... Neon Beach Domain, I don't have to even probably share this, but I was sharing it. The Neon Beach Domain went down in like the end of March. And at this point, I'm like basically just sucking the dick of the fucking fund that I'm working for. And I was like, thank you. So- well, probably should say that, but if they're watching, um, I'm this fruitful with my language, even when we're on a 9 a.m. call. So apologies. <laughs> but yeah, and I was just, oh, I don't want anything to go wrong. And I was just like, fucking solve the problems. Like, well, it, the stress is gone, but I wanted to put things right, etc. And then the domain went down on Friday night at like 11 p.m. So th- at this point, I'm working with these guys. Like, so I feel like it's not all on me for the first time. It's a bit less stressful. Just a bit later. It's like end of March. 
And I was like, why is the domain going down? Nah, fuck's sake, because some cunt hacks it, whatever. I ended up figuring out that I had an email from GoDaddy saying law enforcement are investigating this domain. I think, oh, for fuck's sake, like, who's, what someone said now, like, turned out it was trading standards. I don't think I actually told anyone this. This was pretty fucked for like a month. Trading standards had had, and, for, and I didn't know this before, but for context, so they call themselves part of the police, but they're not, and that's what kind of scared me because like, fuck's sake, like, uh, I thought the the trolling had escalated to someone who was now reporting me to the police mm-hmm. and like lying about something, framing me for something I didn't do, whatever, like the Daily Mail shit. I was just paranoid at this point. Like I would check the door was locked like 10 times a day. I'd probably still do it now in a way because I thought some Don's going to rock up at my door accusing me of stealing five billion pounds or whatever. But anyway, this trading standards thing um, turned out to be, because bear in mind, the website had 12 million visitors in the first year had 35,000 customers I'm not th- sorry maybe like 30,000 customers in the first year and AOV of like 250 300 quid so like I think it was just shy of 8,000 customers yeah and spending oh. 250 I think the revenue in the first year was like 7 million quid on that brand alone so how much of that was UK if as a percent like 50% okay and that was what was kind of scary because well actually yeah just before I go on the trading side thing and Amanda fucking Holden, and if you're watching this, fuck you. Amanda Holden shared something saying that I was a scam artist, which I think, by the way, is completely wrong. If you've got a platform like that and you don't know the facts or something, you shouldn't be sharing shit mm-hmm. that can fuck up, like, ultimately, like, a vulnerable fucking young person at that point, which is what I was. And then a few other B-lists, well, I mean, she's a D-list every now isn't she? But really? she had 4 million followers, and that didn't help. Um, and this was... So, so that happened as well. But then, then the trading standards thing. Yeah, anyway, so the reason I'm saying 12 million website visits, et cetera, it turned out 100 people had reported the business to trading standards over the past six months or whatever. And I remember just being on a call with these dogs and I had to get on an hour-long interview with them. And I just thought, like, I didn't have any, I had to do it. And I was on questions were they asking? Well, this is the funny thing. If they're watching, apologies, but they're probably not watching. But, like, these people don't know anything about the, e-commerce for a start like it was kind of comical at some points and like these guys that i'm working with had a few calls with them as well they ended up taking over the process and but i had to do the first call with them but they were asking shit like how does how does e-commerce payments work you get paid up front right and then never ship the products as much like stupid shit like that and it had to educate them on that wasn't the case blah 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 I went through everything that happened they ultimately believe what happened because at this point the fund were involved and there was paperwork and what had happened blah 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 but they just have to do their job and I, I just remember thinking Jesus only 100 complaints there was 12 million website visitors of 30,000 customers about 6,000 of which didn't get a product that's what happened and only 100 people complained so I remember thinking well, like partly oh my god this is fucking hilarious not that that happened but that these people are that Mm-hmm. It just seemed so out of scale. It was like, oh, wow, this isn't actually as scary as I thought it was going to be. And then secondly, just, yeah, it's just another bullshit process. But anyway, that ended up getting resolved and they were happy. And one thing they said as well is they said, is your jewellery business a scam as well? And I remember just thinking, fuck you, like, just getting really pissed off about it. And that's the term they use, they were yeah. accusing it as a... I just thought, yeah, it was bafflingly, like, it's the right word. It was bafflingly frivolous and like close-minded as well, just unprofessional. Given who, what they were meant to be, and who they were representing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But yeah, anyway, um, 
that's a very long answer to what was the most stressful but I suppose yeah the, the trolling was the most annoying and the most like anxiety inducing at the time but yeah the, the thing that I'm still dealing with also and I'm probably a bit more accepted it, accepting of it now it's just like yeah like a year and a half ago or whatever like summer last year yeah, like, I thought I'd be retired by now. Like, I'd obviously work. People say you had a penthouse apartment, you bought a supercar, you had a fucking hundred grand Range Rover. Yeah. Um, which. Yeah, I'm not, not living on the streets now because I continue to work hard and like obviously have some value to the people that I'm working with. But yeah, it just humbled me a little bit. And I, I suppose, to be honest as well, I definitely so guilty of comparing myself and like the whole network thing I've spoken to people about this before like it's a blessing and a curse it's definitely a 99% net, net bene- benefit for sure but the problem is it's like oh fuck like in March I was like I've lost basically everything they were paying me 100 grand salary so mm-hmm. like to most people that's great but that felt like the fucking biggest pay cut in the world and suddenly I was like worrying about how to pay rent etc cetera, etc cetera. that's just the, the, the truth of it that might sound like the most cunty thing ever but that's just the reality but then it was like, oh, geez, Fred's made a million quid this year or whatever. I, I don't think you'll mind me saying it. I, I don't actually know if he made a million quid, but like, you know, I think something like that. Tyler's making a hundred grand a month, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I'm now this fucking loser, but Billy's making similar, you know, all this sort of shit. And then, yeah, so, uh, yeah, definitely compare myself to people that would, it's kind of a good, it's kind of mad actually thinking about it. Like all my close friends and like not just in London in the UK are like if not self-made millionaire entrepreneurs like certainly on their way to doing that and like money aside just successful interesting people but I think yeah I think having a success when I had this conversation with a friend of mine a, a team member actually a couple of days ago well about so for me I've seen I've got this place in London but my team my business my office is based in the Midlands so I sort of feel like I live this double life between back there and back here and back there, up in the Midlands, I've got like pretty much no friends. Um, and I've got my team and everything. But um, the, the thing I love most and where I justify being in London is obviously the network. And yeah, like we're, we're all hyper competitive individuals, whether we want to admit it or not. A lot of what we do is, is ego driven um, in a positive way. I think ego is a term that can be used in a, quite a negative connotation. But yeah, we're all hyper competitive and there's no there's no logical reason to work as hard as we do or put ourselves through the anxiety and the stress that we do to build a business other than just probably purely driven by ego and this, this competitive nature within us. And so when you're surrounded by similar individuals, which uh, have all got, like I say, seven figure businesses, eight figure businesses in early twenties, you do compare, it is competitive and you do compare yourself and you think, fuck up, you know, my, I'm at I'm seven figures, he's at this, I need to up-level my life. But then probably same with you when you go back, obviously you're from up north in York, yeah. I'm from the Midlands, you go hang around with your friends you went to school with are, we make a joke and sometimes call them just civilians. Because yeah. uh, they're just... tongue cheek town. Yeah, of course. And and like we said earlier, like, you know, uh, there are there is there are entrepreneurs, especially on Twitter, that are so like guilty of shaming these people that aren't entrepreneurs. And uh, yeah, I probably wouldn't recommend being an entrepreneur to ninety nine point nine percent of people. You have to be built a certain way for it. But you 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 go hang around people that are on the average salary in the UK, and it is a totally different mindset. And it's sort of 
grounds you. Yeah, it's just a conversation. Because yeah. it's so easy to get lost in comparing ourselves to other people. But when you really like think all the average salaries in the UK and um, what other people are happy doing, it's it certainly grounds you and, and you can't get you can't get lost in the whole comparison element but it's also what drives us like it is it is a net net positive but it's just one of those things it's easy to get lost in, into and it can affect your mental um your mental health for sure but but how much yeah back to uh when you made about to when a reporter rocks up to your parents house yeah how much sucks. did your parents know about the business before how much do they know did they sort of know the scale you're operating at i'm sure they see the lifestyle and the shit but yeah <laughs> so geez that could probably be a whole podcast in itself as well so like yeah i, I remember my, my parents telling me and i probably still use it in arguments to this day like my dad's saying oh you're fucking retarded if you're dropping out of uni i dropped out of uni like early 2017 when i had a different business whatever and then obviously over the years especially like they saw what i was doing mm-hmm yeah they, 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 they knew that the numbers of it could speak speak about it um oh, yeah um and then the, did they think when when the report was saying oh we're here to speak your son about being a scam artist did the they... worst part about that was i thought jesus uh, after the this four years of three years or whatever my parents knowing that i was six, ultimately a successful like on the way entrepreneur like, my dad would joke about me, well, like, when are you retiring me, all this shit. Mm-hmm. And I think that's because he genuinely believes in me, he still does. But the worst part about that was fuck, like, because particularly my mum, who doesn't, like, I feel like it's probably stereotype, but it's usually the case, like, mm-hmm. maybe less understanding of, like, the business, so I wouldn't speak about it as much with her. She just knows that I do this stuff online, she knows yeah. that, whatever. And I just remember thinking, Jesus Christ, like, she, what she actually now thinks I'm a scam artist and thinks it's all a lie especially because she had less understanding of what I was doing in the first place mm-hmm. that was like horrifying but I don't ever think she actually thought that I think she was more just worried like parents are but yeah then I just basically told them everything I was like yeah it's got pretty fucked um, and then yeah they obviously saw what happened over the next few months but yeah like how much, how much did you go for it though? I don't know if she'll watch this or not. Um, not that much, to be fair. But about how much did you know about what you were going through? And it sort of would like... She knew about the online abuse. Like, she wouldn't know about the finances or whatever. Um, I've kind of re- revealed that in crumbs over the past few months. <laughs> Maybe in conversations about who's paying more rent. Um, but yeah, uh, not that much, to be fair. Like, I, I feel like it's one thing telling people what's happening but then it's another thing telling people that don't have that much context or understanding in the first place because they just misunderstand things like another thing i thought was oh all these people that have like from school or uni or whatever that have looked at me as oh you know either admirably or resentfully looked at me as oh he's like he's made it or whatever which, which i hadn't but i was obviously on the way there doing well or whatever my other concern was all these people that, that are just in normal jobs and now they get ah oh, yeah he was caught little cunt mm-hmm. But I think, yeah, I think that's to be fair. Why now I was like, fuck, actually, I don't like, granted, people can talk shit online or whatever, but yeah, I may as well put my, my truthful side of the story out in something like a podcast. So I'd say I did that tweet thread, the other, yeah, like even fucking 
Connor McCloskey the other day messaged me about that. I don't even think he knew the full extent of what happened. Like loads of people messaged me like, Jesus, I, I knew something had happened, but wasn't sure. Because yeah, like, even when I was living with Billy, to be fair, I don't, I don't think he really knew what was going on. I didn't really want to speak about it. I was like, whatever, I don't know. Maybe I assumed that people wouldn't give a fuck or whatever. But I remember, we'll try and get him on the podcast, Fred. I don't think you mind me saying this. I remember going to his flat, well, where I used to live, at like the end of January and just telling him what had happened and crying mm. and just saying like, I don't know what the fuck to do. I think he was nearly in tears as well, to be fair. Um, yeah, I think I said, like, would you lend me a hundred grand or something? And that's just an interest in fully transparent. Like, that never happened. And I'm glad that didn't happen. But that's how desperate I was in the situation. I was trying to work out, like, how the fuck am I going to, not for personal use, it was like, how am I going to save the business? I didn't want the fucking business to have to be yeah. ultimately sold to a fund. But that ended up being the way, that was the only option. So... Yeah, I think he, he knew what was happening to his saying because I, I lived with him. And so to be fair, it was kind of bad timing to have to like move out while all that was happening and then move in with Billy. He knew less about what was happening and, and stuff. But yeah, it's probably hard. I try and imagine like, it must be quite a weird dynamic because we were like very similarly successful, I would say. We lived together for like two years and lost whatever. Yeah, I always think it must be quite weird for him at the time, particularly when all that shit was hitting the fan. Like, I mean, I'm sure he had his own problems, as everyone does, but certainly wasn't going really badly, like business profitable. Yeah, and it must be quite a weird dynamic. Think like, how do I react to that? Because like, there's only so much you can say, like, oh, I get better, I get better, whatever. But ultimately, it didn't get better, and then I had to fucking sell the business. But yeah, what was the original question? That was a fucking tangent. On- um, what was I was asking about? Um, your parents and how much they knew and yeah, I suppose yeah, how much of friends being scared to tell people, especially people that don't have context on how this shit even works. Uh, and I think the interesting part as well. So my uncle is like a serial entrepreneur, and that that's probably I, I don't come from money or anything like fucking my mum's a nurse, blah blah blah, but he has a lot of money and that's never helped me in business or whatever. I never even spoke to him about business actually before, which is which I suddenly thought that's really fucking stupid because speaking to him when this was all happening, like in February, and it was just interesting how different the conversation was. He was like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, cool, you've had your first major fuck up. I've had five. Yeah. And everyone I know that's made a hundred million or whatever it is, he's just done badass shit. Why is this? Has had something happen like that. And his conversation was, yeah, cool, you learn loads from it. I met a successful billionaire out in Dubai and we talked about what it's taken to get there and he's like he's had multiple heart attacks and yeah. breakdowns and you think fuck like what is shit you got to go through and he said he wouldn't wish it upon his worst enemy um so yeah but obviously we'll wrap it up shortly but a couple quick fire questions i have then one looking back now at what happened how much sort of responsibility do you take for it all happening thinking it was purely mistakes you made or it was, again, as entrepreneurs, we don't like to use the term luck too much because you should create your own luck, but there was a few, like, it was a bit of bad luck with suppliers and yeah. fucking up. Like, how much responsibility do you think? Yeah, I think ultimately, you have to, like, 
even if shit was bad luck, like ultimately it's my fault because it was my business. But yeah. I do genuinely hand on heart feel that I had a lot of bad shit happen in a certain sequence that was probably unusually unfavored or bad luck, whatever you want to call it. Like I don't think I did much. Like I did everything I could to solve problems where possible, and it just. Yeah, it was a combination of things. Like like I said, third-party factors like having deals with Love Island, having taken on revenue-based financing to improve the business, having another brand at the same time, which I also had to run, not having the experience at the scale I was at. Because they don't teach this shit at school. And there's, there's no, when, when, at this scale as well, there is no real reference points you can go to. You can't buy a course yeah. on how to really operate a business and, and salvage it and, and save it and operate smoothly at, an eight-figure run rate or even a multi-seven-figure business. Like, maybe to get to, you know, you can go on a econ course and they'll teach you how yeah. to set up a store and scale it and run ads. But um, unless you've got some serious, like a fund you're working with or some serious mentors or associates that have done that, you really like, you're like you, there's no reference points. You don't know really who to go to. Yeah, I think I'll say flat out on camera, like ultimately I, I take responsibility for what happened because if I hadn't started the brand, it wouldn't have happened. Yep. And the flip side of that is I, I was also responsible for making sure that every customer that got fucked, way less than me, but got fucked in their mind, including all these fucking trolls, got their money back because if I hadn't done this deal and spent months stressing about what we're going to do then that wouldn't have happened like i said a few times could have shut my laptop it wouldn't solve any problems so i give myself credit for that yeah but yeah like i say uh, there was a combination of factors that were unlucky and i think the thing that was the most i just felt was ultimately wrong was the, the trolling and people making grossly inaccurate lies and not realizing how damaging that is as well like like I said before, like I can't imagine ever leaving a hate comment on anything ever on a, on the internet, and I don't think anyone that's ever done anything that with their life either would do that. But and you only got to run ads to see the comments on ads, on yeah. Facebook. I'm sure there'll be comments on this video as well, which yeah. will probably get deleted or or I'll reply to depending on what they say. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, done an hour and twenty of just keeping it real so far, and yeah. Um, yeah, like I said, I ultimately take responsibility for starting the business and, and so on. Any like, advice? Legally, it's my responsibility, but I did everything I could. And ultimately, yeah. I think more to put things as settled and right as they could be. Any advice? I, I don't think I deserved the backlash I had. No, of course not. Trolling is always going to happen. But given trolling when you're like a YouTuber and you're making millions or whatever, just like when stuff's not going that wrong and people are just trolling is one thing. But trolling given the actual real stress I was dealing with as a first-time entrepreneur, ultimately, just added insult to injury. And I don't think anyone can understand what that's like until they've been through it. And everyone's had their own <laughs> elements of trolling and obviously problems and shit. And I'm not saying this is as bad as fucking parents dying or whatever. And I know it's not. But in a business-specific sense, I reckon it's pretty much as bad as it can get, to be fair. I honestly do. What advice would you give to someone going through maybe a similar situation that you've been through the last sort of six months? More so like the mental health side and emotional side as well, because I don't think it's something that's talked about enough. 
Well, if, if they're going through like a major shit in the business, I think, think the main thing is to make sure you're still showing up and fixing what you can mm-hmm. because just hiding away from it doesn't help. But also, what I wish I'd done sooner is just ask for help and speak to fucking Dons mm-hmm. because, yeah, like, I don't know what it is. I've just become more woke to the fact that, woke is a stupid word, but aware of the fact that, like, the, the, there's there's... There's seven billion dons on Earth, and I think this is why I'm start, start wanted to start making content. And this this first podcast is coming out. I reactivated the Instagram, or whatever, blah blah blah, because I realised through you and other people, probably you particularly, and Billy, to be fair, mm-hmm. who have like personal brands or whatever, it, is that people are the answer to every problem you have. Yeah, like literally, and the way to access those people is the internet, usually because massively Bill Gates ain't sat there, but you could probably get through to his. Yeah, not that they need Bill Gates, but like, yeah, I don't know. Like, it's almost like the more you know, is ask the help and just being transparent about how fucked something is. Is probably what I'd say because I think there's way too many smoking mirrors. Okay. People have accused me of smoking mirrors in the past. I think well, you're probably one of the most trans transparent people. In yeah, that. I think that's what I give myself credit for. Like, yeah, I was balling out or whatever with like financed supercars and. And now I don't have them because I got rid of them and I got fucked in the ass a little bit. But I'll be back and finance more supercars. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> finance the fucking colony. <laughs> but yeah, I, I just think having the, the balls to be honest and seeking help. And I, I, and I think that's what I'll do going forward in, in the next business. And just, just yeah, I, th- I think everyone is probably guilty of it, particularly in the early 20s. And it's one of those things where... Is it an ego thing, do you think? Yeah, it's one of those classic things where parents say, like, you don't listen to anyone, like, I've got more life experience. And that isn't always true, by the way. Just because someone's older doesn't mean they've got more experience. But certainly, yeah, it is an ego thing. Like, I would now definitely seek more advice probably from day one and be more aware of what I don't know. Because the more you learn, I think, yeah, guys, you don't actually know. Yeah, I feel like I don't know fucking anything about anything. Yeah. Whereas the reality is, I know a lot about e-commerce and brand building. I obviously fucked up because there was a combination of factors. Um, but yeah, I'll do it a lot better on the next one. And I think, yeah, just seeking help from dons that, and it's not about people being older. It's about people, and that's a misconception, I think, that's like school tries to make people think that people that are older are better and more experienced in life. It's not always true. And in most cases, it's not true, particularly in entrepreneurship. But, but find people and potential mentors or whatever you want to call it that have been in your shoes before. Like I said, just speaking to my uncle, for example, I don't speak to him enough to be fair. It's probably a great resource because he understands it because he's, he's not, not in the e-commerce space, but yeah, it's just a different game. And like there are people that have been there and done stuff as well. But I guess the flip side of that is, I spoke about it on my Twitter thread and I'm going on a tangent again. Is it, you have to earn a network over time. It, like, it's, you, you can't be straight out of uni or fucking school and be like, oh, great, I, I want to start hanging around with these fucking 40-year-old billionaires that own this fund. They can f- invest in my startup because you've got to go and earn your stripes. It's, so this is one of the podcasts because it's the most common question I get is how do you upgrade your circle? And the answer yeah. I just give is upgrade yourself. Because when you get to a certain level and you start playing at a certain level, you attract people playing at that level. And um, again, having this conversation this week um, with a team member of mine from 
back in the Midlands. He lives up there and wants to upgrade his circle. And I sort of made the point that actually the people you probably want to be spending most time with are sort of in cities. They're in London. They sort of become hubs and, and attract a lot of hyper successful people. I said, obviously, I'm, you've got, um, I'm playing at a certain level with a business. Got a Lambo. Yeah. The roof comes off. Yeah. And then, but when you do that, you attract other people. Suddenly you have friends. I can probably count five or 10 friends that have supercars or Lamborghinis. Yeah. And that's no coincidence. But because when you get to a certain level, you start to attract those people. I also made the point I'm not friends or acquainted or know anyone probably worth 50, 100 million or a billion because I'm not at that level. But I'm sure suddenly tomorrow, if I sold a business for 100 million or half a billion or a billion quid, yeah, suddenly within a few months, I'll have friends or acquaintances that are also at that level. So um, you definitely have to earn it. But the number one way to upgrade your circle is just upgrade yourself for sure. Yeah, it's so true. And like, like just earning our stripes and like, yeah, like it's all part of the fucking resume, isn't it? That's the way of, I found it, definitely found it hard to think positively about the situation but it's gradually become easier i think part of the therapy of that is now starting to share parts of it because mm-hmm. like yeah i went through a period of i've previously like not that bothered about i wasn't making much content or whatever like had an instagram account didn't really share anything i was like oh shouldn't share anything as they made it or whatever which i think it's a bit of a toxic attitude to be fair um and then it's like going on twitter and shit and it was like oh wait a minute like even by just sharing my major loss, like a lot of Doms have actually gained from that. And like, I was getting messages off Doms that I'd never spoken to, like saying I, I nearly cried and shit. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh shit, wait a minute. Yeah, it's just therapeutic to talk about stuff in general in life. And to be fair, that's why I want to revamp this podcast and take it actually seriously this time. It's just, if anything, it's, it's a selfish pursuit to A, release myself for what's in my head and B, just speak to interesting dons. Uh, document the journey because the next five, ten years... Yeah, like building a public bit. is a Sam. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. And I think as you grow the next brand and see more success, you'll probably look back on everything that's happened far more positively as a blessing. I won't be surprised if in three, well, even two, three years time, you're probably saying to me that, you know what, that was probably the best thing that happened because you learned so much. Yeah. It's always hard to see that in the moment, but yeah. So before we wrap up, what's the plan for the future now? How much can you share? Well, what's the plan for the future? Well, I want to rip this podcast Mm -hmm. because I've always just felt a touch on it right at the start. Like I've always felt a bit of a call into like content of some kind, like I play around with the fucking music covers when I was like 16 had the travel vlog thing, which I used to love. And then people, I just felt, oh, this ain't cool right now. I shouldn't focus on this. And then I feel like, they say your brain fully forms by age 25. And I feel like my brain is maybe fully formed now. And it's just giving me the, the awareness to be like, oh, wait a minute. Now is may- maybe I should actually go back to the shit that I like doing, which was, and I liked making content before. I obviously love Econ. Um, yeah, so basically two things. I want to do more content. And I think podcast is the, really the only relevant medium that I could do. I'm not going to walk around fucking London. Well, I, I don't do much day-to-day apart from sitting in my office and set a screen like most people yeah. in reality. So I'm not going to start a vlog with some bollocks. I guess do this podcast um, and then ultimately start a new brand, but I guess, which I'm already working on. And I, I hope to have a new brand live in like the next two to three months, but mm-hmm. I'm definitely approaching things slightly differently. 
um, and the main thing being, I think I haven't done this yet, but I, I would like to probably get some partners on board with it. Not active partners, but maybe just like silent partners, investors, whatever, from day one. Rather than boost. Not just because I lost most of my money, but partly that. Um, but, but mainly because just experience that I've realized that I don't know a shitload of things. And rather than, yeah, just entirely bootstrapping it, like hustling from bedroom. So I feel like I've done that now. So, yeah, I mean, the plan over like, the next few years is build the next brand. One brand, by the way, not two, like I did last time. Do the podcast. I want to do the podcast more. Like once a week would be nice. That might be a tall order. Certainly once every other week, like consistently, because we tried it last year. wasn't the right time, whatever. Um, and then, yeah, build the next brand and fucking sell it for 100 million quid before I'm 30. But we'll see. I'm not guaranteeing that because I might, I might find I fall in love with the process and want to keep running it or whatever it is. But yeah. Oh, you enjoy self sabotaging it and going through this up and down. Yeah. <laughs> I might do this again to a larger scale. Hopefully not. Um, but, but yeah, I definitely, my mind has been calloused to the point where. Definitely just give less of a fuck what someone's going to write on, on the comment section in this in this video alone. So, yeah, I just enjoy having conversations and I think I'm pretty good at them. And the, the, so basically podcasts and brand is the plan. Cool. Well, I think people appreciate your transparency and there's no doubt if your story is going to like help and serve a lot of values for our people. Um, but yeah, I think as a friend like it's definitely been amazing to sort of witness one it was still a fucking big achievement scaling the brand to what it was um, yeah. and then to go through what you've been through like i'm sure you know like us boys have always been here for you and fucking that's like crying no there's all like mad respect for you and uh, always like transparency has always been like and the authenticity has always been the main thing um all like the one of the most like uh prominent values I've associated with you, which I think for sure is like um massively like appreciated and I think it's fucking all up from here. So yeah. Yeah, that's the plan. I think I think with this podcast as well, so this is the only episode that's gonna be about me, because this isn't the me show. That's not the intention, but I just the reason I wanted to do this is the first episode is a few reasons. It's what I said on the Twitter thread, which I'll link below. It's firstly um, it's therapeutic, like I just said. Like it genuinely is fucking therapeutic, particularly to speak about it rather than just write about it. Secondly, I think people can learn from it, so it's free value, hopefully. And thirdly, no one can say shit when I've just talked all this dirt about myself. Like, we're trying to speak. This is how it is. You know, so, yeah. you know, there'll be e-commerce stuff. Like, the plan, really, with, with this podcast is. What we probably want, well, what I wanted to do and forced my two of the flatmates at the time to join me in trying to do last year was just have deep fucking interesting conversations with generally entrepreneurs because I feel like anyone that's doing it, well, the most interesting people that I have access to are entrepreneurs of some sort and not just e-com though. Um, and I've got a list of people i like to get on and hopefully we can make them open up as much as I probably have in this and... Yeah, just see where it goes with different episodes because I just think there's generally social media has made it very easy to speak to people and put information out, but ninety nine point nine percent of stuff, it's just a, it's just lacking that. Like, there's questions that people want to ask and no one's asking them. There's the there's the same stories from the same people over and over again. 
and the same people over and over again. Um, and I just hope we can bring out some gems of conversation by just trying to, yeah, just being more honest about shit and asking more interesting questions rather than just the surface level crap that I feel like most podcasts do. And I'm not saying this podcast will be better than everyone else's, but hopefully it's more authentic. That's what I'll say. And we'll see where we take it. Cool. Well, it's been a pleasure. And we'll see you on the next one. Like, comment and subscribe as well.